TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here. On TuneIn, go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. Odyssey celebrates Father's Day, brought to you by T-Mobile. You can count on T-Mobile to help you stay connected on America's largest 5G network. Good morning and welcome to Hardline here on News Radio 930 WBEN. Joe Beamer with you this morning. Brenda Alacy is still recovering but should be back very soon. All right. Last week, Congressman Brian Higgins and State Senator Sean Ryan joined a group that was calling for the elimination of the 198, a full removal to bring Delaware Park back together. Uh, It also, after the press conference, Congressman Higgins talked about possibly going from the 198 and removing the 33 and talking about how this has been going on throughout the country. Now, on Friday, I spoke with Congressman Brian Higgins. We will replay that. State Senator Sean Ryan was invited this morning, was not able to join us, and hopefully will be joining us sometime next week to uh, talk about this and also some state matters. So this segment, we're replaying the interview from Friday with Congressman Brian Higgins. At 1030, we are talking to Assemblyman Pat Burke, and at 11 and at 1130, at 11, we're talking to Carl Calabrese to talk about President Joe Biden's first 100 days, his speech uh, in front of a joint session in Congress, and a bunch of other things, including last night we saw Mitt Romney booed at a GOP convention in Utah. We will ask his thoughts, and at 11.30, those same topics with Professor Kevin Hardwick. So a lot to get to today. Thank you so much for joining me on Sunday. And we will start, this is me speaking with Congressman Brian Higgins on BMAS and Beamer. It aired Friday. Congressman Higgins, tell me, what is the, uh, what's the plan? What's the finished project going to look like where we now see the 198? Well, this is the vision of the Skajakwita Corridor Coalition made up of uh, the vision of Go Bike, the Buffalo Homestead Conservancy, the Restore Our Community Coalition, uh, Buffalo Waterkeeper, uh, and uh, a number of public officials. The idea is to reverse the damage that's been done to a city like Buffalo uh, because uh, of an obsession with automobiles and expressway building in the decade of the 1950s. You basically destroyed 90 acres of Olmstead Parkland uh, and separated uh, the park, uh, Delaware Park, uh, because of an expressway, as you mentioned at the outset, uh, because of a tragic accident, really having nothing to do with speed. Uh, the, the speed limit was reduced on the Skajakwood Expressway from 55 to 30 miles an hour. I think what the state did unknowingly is prove that uh, the Skajakwood is now no faster a commuter route than the adjacent side streets, and we can do better. There's an effort nationally uh, to restore communities uh, that have been destroyed by expressway building with a $20 billion piece component in the uh, American Jobs Plan. So it's a problem nationally, but it's particularly acute in Buffalo, and I think the Skajakwita Expressway 
uh, and the conversion of that to an at-grade parkway, bringing uh, the divided pieces of Delaware Park back together, is a project that is uh, not only shovel-ready, it's shovel-worthy, and can, in fact, get funded. Now, looking at the 198, as I mentioned, Madai College is there, Buff State is there. There are people that take the 198 to work. Is there a plan uh, for them to get to work, or is the plan using Main Street, using Elmwood, uh, Hurdle, the 190? What, what would be the plan for those commuters? Yeah, what I would say is that the population in the city of Buffalo reached a peak in the 1950s when these expressways were built. So the city's population was about 580,000. Today it's about 264,000. So uh, we are overbuilt in terms of our uh, of our uh, infrastructure. So you've got a lot of streets uh, that were built and designed to to carry traffic uh, that are underutilized. So it would be a reutilization of city streets that are underutilized right now. And the additional, you know, lower speed traffic would be good for economic development because it would support, uh, you know, the the investments that are being made in in many of our corridors, including uh, that Hurdle Avenue corridor, uh, uh, Elmwood Avenue. Uh, and look at all the beauty around, uh, as you said, Madai College, but you have the Albright Knox Gunlock uh, uh, Art Gallery, which is going through $155 million expansion and improvement. You have White Lake, you have Delaware Park, you have the uh, the casino. Uh, and if you're on a beautiful uh, area, which is the Buffalo History Museum on the back steps, you look out and, you know, it's all this beauty that people should have access to in improving neighborhoods, but there's one obstruction, and it's the elevated section of the 198 known as the Skajakwood Expressway. You know, Delaware Park is beautiful. I'll, I'll tell you, when we're running through Delaware Park as part of the turkey trot, uh, it's it's a great part of it. And um, I, I agree with you on that, Congressman. Now, also, this wasn't part of the proposal, but there's also been talk about the 33 and removing that. Uh, would there? Do you have a plan for that, or is that something you would support? Yeah, restoring Humboldt Parkway. Humboldt Parkway, you know, when Olmsted came here in 1868, he said that Buffalo was the best planned city in America. And then he designed a park system, which was 850 acres made up of parks, but also parkways, traffic circles, which really define Buffalo. It's the greatest park system, arguably, in the world. Uh, Humboldt Parkway was the grandest of uh, parkways in that system and it was destroyed it was destroyed because of expressway building and again this occurred during the 1950s when we had a city population that was much higher now people are coming back to the city so we just want buffalo to realize its full potential again and uh, is a great waterfront city you know you look at all the expressway building in western new york the robert moses parkway in niagara falls uh, that wasn't a parkway. It never was. Uh, they called it a parkway to deceive people. It was an elevated section of highway that blocked the city of Niagara Falls from arguably the greatest waterfront in the world. Uh, the 190 and the Skyway blocked uh, uh, access to the Buffalo waterfront. Uh, the uh, the uh, Kensington Expressway uh, obliterated, obliterated 
uh, Humboldt Park. We should restore that. We can restore that. This is the coalition of, of outstanding uh, community-based organizations, uh, but also elected officials are speaking with one voice about the importance of restoring Humboldt Parkway. Uh, and we have people, Sean Ryan, uh, Tim Kennedy, they're in the Senate majority. They're very influential. You have Crystal People Stokes who is the current majority leader of the assembly. I'm on the tax writing uh, committee, which will play a major role in the United States Congress, the House Ways and Means Committee, in finalizing a, a piece of legislation known as the American Jobs Plan, which will provide a lot of infrastructure money. So I think, you know, things are coming together. This is a very exciting time. And I just, you know, we always want to position Buffalo. Uh, to take it to the next level. You know, before this pandemic, you know, Buffalo was the talk of the nation, the Economist magazine, the New York Times, the Boston Globe, uh, all, you know, recently did feature articles on Buffalo and extolling the virtues of, of a new place where the, the young population was coming back, that the downtown area was being revitalized. You look at what's going on at Seneca One with uh, Douglas Jamal and, and also uh, M&T Bank as a technology hub. That is a fantastic uh, commitment to workforce development, which will attract uh, a lot of uh, young people, but also uh, tech companies that will look anew at Buffalo and away from places like Silicon Valley. Uh, do you know that in the 1.2 uh, million uh, square feet of the uh, Seneca One, there's not one law office, not one law office by design. It's only tech companies because, you know, you have that ecosystem and it attracts uh, tech investment uh, in, in to Buffalo from uh, throughout the country and, and, and throughout the world. So it's just a very, very exciting time. And keep in mind, too, Joe, you know, uh, the fastest growing recreational sporting activity that has, you know, occurred in the last year is biking. And Buffalo is a perfect place uh, because of its uh, street design, because of its flat roads, uh, to encourage that kind of thing. And post-pandemic, we're not in the post-pandemic phase yet, but we're getting there. Um, and I know you want to talk about vaccines a little bit, but um, – it changes places. You know, Buffalo in the middle of the 18, 19th century, 19th century, had three uh, bouts with cholera. That's why Olmsted came to Buffalo, and that's why city leaders embraced not just building a park, but a park system, because Olmsted was, you know, before he was a landscape architect, he was a public health worker in the Civil War, and his park designs reflected what he referred to as the healing power of parks, abundant sunshine, uh, fresh air. Uh, that was very, very important. And when you look at urban design and the built environment, it's never neutral. It either serves to hurt or to heal. And in post-pandemic Buffalo and final stage pandemic Buffalo, we need to heal and we need to encourage uh, better use of uh, the landscape, particularly the parks and parkway systems that were destroyed because of ex uh, expressway building. And now the federal government is stepping up to provide the resources to do just that. And that's what I fight for every day for, 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 for my neighborhood, for my community. There's no more talk about Wall Street versus Main Street. I want to talk about the neighborhood streets and the homes where real people live and struggle every day. And I think that uh, the good thing is, uh, the bad thing is we had to endure this for many, many decades, many generations. The good thing is 
we can now do something about it. Congressman, talking about removing expressways, um, the 198 and the 33, is there support for the 198, because that's what was proposed, is there support by people in those neighborhoods, by the public? Has the public been surveyed and asked about um, the potential of removing the 198? Joe, like anything, there's going to be uh, there's going to be a lot of different opinions out there, and I think the planners of this project have to address those concerns head on, uh, honestly. And you know, some are valid, some may just be a misunderstanding of the project, and that's what's going to occur here. You're going to have a new vision uh, for this Kajakwada. A corridor that is not zero sum. There doesn't have to be winners and losers. In, in game theory, there's also what they refer to as variable sum. There can be many winners, and we want to pull in as many winners as possible. So, yeah, people are very familiar with this. I mean, people have weighed in positively and negatively about the reduction of the speed limit uh, on the elevated section of, uh, of uh, the 198. Um, nobody is going to be, you know, everybody's not going to be fully on board you can never reach that kind of consensus but working through in a in a collaborative effort to include the neighborhoods um is what we intend to do and albany is not going to make this decision washington is not going to make this decision the people of buffalo and western new york are going to make these decisions because when left to albany and washington they made bad decisions. They, they, they evicted people along routes for these expressways. If you look at the 198, if you look at the 33, it's all junk along there. Nobody cleans it. Uh, it, it. It leads to blighting conditions in neighborhoods. Nobody should have to live in that kind of environment, in that kind of neighborhood. Uh, the shame is that they've had to. Uh, the good thing is, as I said, we can do something about it now. Congressman, before we let you go, uh, vaccine hesitancy, we've been hearing about that a lot lately. We hit the 100 million or are going to hit uh, the 100 million fully vaccinated. Uh, I'm happy to say I'm one. I encourage people to get it. Uh, But when we talk about this hesitancy, you know, I always look at the messaging of the vaccine. And I I think there's a lot of promise, yes. But I look at President Biden giving his speech on Wednesday to a – to the chambers that were socially distanced and masked, but it was full of people who had been vaccinated. Uh, Do you think we need to do better with the messaging of the vaccine, showing once you're vaccinated, you can start to do those things that you did a year ago, like congregating together, losing the mask when you're in company of those who have been vaccinated? Yeah, look, I think people are overloaded with information, and that leads to confusion. Uh, Here's the reality. Um, last year at this time, there were no vaccines. And the best thing that our healthcare system could do if you were stuck with COVID is to give you Tylenol to reduce pain and to reduce fever. Uh, that was it. There were no treatments, there were no vaccines. Now, uh, America is the world leader, the global leader in vaccine development and administration. So, as you said, we're reaching the 100 million. Uh, uh, you know, vaccinated point where uh, 100 million Americans have been fully vaccinated. Right now, 144 million or 43 percent have been uh, have received at least one dose. Um, I think what public health officials need to do is better communicate why the vaccine's important. I think there's so much about the controversy. You know, the Johnson and Johnson for three weeks. You know, there were blood clots. And that was the, you know, that was the headline. And and it it affected a very small portion of the population, albeit serious. 
that shouldn't be the news. The news should be this, that a vaccine gives the body's immune system the upper hand uh, when uh, fighting against the virus. Uh, It triggers with antibodies uh, an immune response that neutralizes or kills the virus before it can penetrate a cell in the body. If If a virus can't penetrate a cell in the body, it's, it's, it's harmless. Uh, that is the goal of the vaccine, and the vaccine was developed to deal with the crown of the coronavirus and uh, to keep that, uh, that, that virus from infecting the cell. So that's what's going on here. So if you are vaccinated, uh, you have a very low risk, a very low risk of getting COVID. If you uh, are vaccinated and you wear a mask, you have a very low risk of getting COVID. And that's what this is all about. You got a shot because you probably, you know, looked at the information as to the cost benefits of the vaccine. There are still vaccine skeptics out there. I get that. And public health officials have to do a better job of understanding, uh, uh, to, to help people understand generally uh, the, the benefits of the vaccine by explaining how it works and why we now, for the first time in this pandemic, have the upper hand. And that's why New York City is opening on July 1st. Uh, that's why, you know, we continue to fight uh, to get the U.S.-Canadian border open. Uh, people should be able to go to their cottages. People should be able to uh, be reunited with, with, with loved ones that they haven't seen uh, since this pandemic uh, has started. So I think focusing in on the information that's most valuable uh, to the people that you have to convince, and that's the American public. And I think that uh, public health officials uh, need and can do a much better job of helping people understand. And still, people will decide for themselves, but I think they'll have better information. I think there's been a confused message, uh, and I think that is a fair criticism. But do you think if people who are on the fence, because I, I, I don't know many people on the fence, but I know a lot of them say, what's the point? I still have to follow all these uh, COVID-19 protocols. If they saw, and I don't mean to, to pick on President Biden, but if they saw President Biden meeting with his vaccinated cabinet and they all had their mask on and they were sitting like they would have sat in 2019, do you think that would push some people off the fence to get the vaccine? Uh Possibly. I mean, all elected officials, including me, could do a much better job. Um, but I think we're doing the best that we can. And I think there's still there's always going to be confusion out there. People are always going to be uh, skeptic, skeptic, skeptical about uh, about you know, the government and and the role that it plays. But I think, you know, in the end, good information uh, presented uh, clearly is what is you know the best uh, uh, uh you know, offensive strategy as it relates to, to, to vaccines. And look, you know, you're seeing because of the wide distribution of vaccines, uh, 100 million Americans, nearly a third of the entire population of the country has been fully vaccinated in. I mean, let's be honest about it. This is a very short period of time. That is not only an incredible accomplishment, it's miraculous. And uh, but we need, as you know, more people to get vaccinated to develop what they refer to as uh, herd immunity, uh, which is a goal that we're not at yet. But it's getting better. And I do think that if people take a second look, those who are skeptical, take a second look 
you know, the efficacy of this vaccine is very, very high. And there really haven't been a lot of safety problems, but for the Johnson & Johnson, I think those issues are getting resolved. Uh, this has been, you know, a very successful rollout, and I just think uh, people should take a second look because, you know, it, it, they're talking about uh, vaccine passports now, and, you know, that is the, the, the you know, the, the, the criteria for international travel. Uh, this At this time last year, uh, Americans were not welcomed in 27 European Union countries. Now those countries are opening up and to Americans. Um, so I think there's a lot of positive uh, about the, the vaccines relative to getting back. We all want to get back to normal. And the president has said July 4th today. OK, let's hold them to that and let's get back to a sense of normalcy on July 4th where the, the more people get vaccinated, the less likely they are to have to do, you know, the other things that are necessary because when, you know, face masks, social distancing uh, were, were advanced last year, it was in the absence of an effective vaccine. Now we have not only a vaccine, we have three of them that have been approved by the Food and Drug Administration with a very, very high rate of effectiveness. Congressman Brian Higgins, thank you so much for joining me this morning. Thanks, Joe. Take care. That is Congressman Brian Higgins from Friday's BMAS and Beamer. When we come back, we're speaking with Assemblyman Pat Burke here on WBEN. Welcome back. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. Got clock at four. Donchich. The Step Back 3. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. and Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Import, Chicago, Illinois. Back to Hardline here on News Radio 930 WBEN. Joe Beamer with you this Sunday morning, and I thank you for waking up, or, you know, at least joining me this morning. Uh, our next guest is Assemblyman Pat Burke. Assemblyman, good morning. Hey, good morning, Joe. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Uh, before we get to the questions that I asked you on here for, you were with County Executive Mark Polonkars yesterday. What was the announcement? We, um, so I, for those who don't know, I was a county legislator for five years before I was in the, uh, before I went to the assembly. And, and one of the big projects I had worked on was uh, Seneca Bluffs Park in, uh, in South Buffalo. It's a natural habitat, habitat park, you know, right in the middle of the city. And uh, it's a really, really unique place. 
uh, I was able to get $100,000 so we can do kayak launches out of there. I want as many people, you know, enjoying the outdoors, enjoying the Seneca Bluffs as possible. So uh, that's what that was about. Awesome. All right. Now, to reopening. And, and you know, I, I want to go back a few months. You were, I think the first Democrat to uh, call for kind of reining in those executive powers the governor had. Uh, then there was the bill passed in March. Are you happy with how the power structure is now in Albany? Oh, God, no. No, no, not at all. I mean, so uh, so I was certainly I was the first Democrat to, to call to rein in his powers. I was the first Democrat to call on uh, the governor to resign. Um, but so some of the stuff as far as the balance of power in Albany goes beyond even the Cuomo. Uh, it's really it's a it's a New York structural thing. So in the 1920s, they they did a constitutional change which put a ton of power in the governor's office. So he's so much influence over the budget. Uh, even his, uh, his his right hand person Melissa DeRosa even kind of bragged about that. Like whatever, we still got all the budgetary budgetary powers. So. Uh, we need to do to do a lot more when it comes to creating a balance between the state legislature and the governor's office. Uh, when it comes to you know the current situation we're in, uh, I, I think taking the action we've we've taken I think is a necessary step, especially when you consider all the scandals surrounding the governor's office and the lack of trust. I think that is engendering uh, you know in regards from the public to to the government you know at large. Now, I'm not sure how much you can comment on this, Pat, but you know I have to ask. Uh, with the investigations going in the Assembly, where are we right now on May 2nd in those investigations? Yeah, it's in the Judiciary Committee, which I'm not on. So there's two investigations going on. Uh, you know, I, I, some people can say they're redundant, but I think you know the legislature is going to do their part, and uh, the Attorney General uh, is, is going to take on you know, her role, which she's responsible for. But ours is an impeachment inquiry. Um, and so that's in the Judiciary Committee. I don't sit on that committee, so we're just sort of you know, waiting to see what the results of that will be. And um, my inclination is I don't know of anything new or groundbreaking that we've already – we already – in my opinion, there's already enough. Like there's already enough, and he, he should step down. Um, but I, I think doing this impeachment inquiry is the right process if we're going to impeach him. It's what was done at the federal level, uh, so I think this is the appropriate thing to do. So – uh, those are an executive. Uh, uh, the impeachment inquiry right now is they go through executive sessions. So not being on that committee, uh, I can't speak to it. But I hope in the next few months, uh, I hope they act quickly. And uh, I kind of want to get to it. I want to just focus on governing. Uh, you know, I'm sort of tired. Like I'm, I think, like a lot of people have got scandal fatigue. Like I just want to do my job. I want to help as many people as I can. And I don't want to just keep you know rehashing whatever the governor's thing you know problems are. Like. I, I want him to move on, and I want us to, to get to focusing on the people of New York. Now, talking about the people of New York, uh, we're starting to see those restrictions loosen all over the state. Um, are you happy where we are right now, and do you like the steps throughout the, the month of May? Do you think that's the right direction on loosening the restrictions when it comes to getting rid of the curfews? Uh, I believe in Connecticut, I'm not sure it's happened here yet, getting rid of how many people ha- uh, can sit at a table. Do you think we're moving in the right direction, and do you think this is the appropriate pace? So, so yeah, we are. Um, I think people, like you know, we're seeing a light at the end of the tunnel, and everyone's been through so much, and, and everyone's just kind of done with this, right? Um, but 
we have to take we still have to take a step back and look at what's happening in places like Michigan uh, and seeing these spikes and a lot of people are dying there and a lot of people you know it, and so even when you're trying to do the right thing uh, you got to realize that this isn't just a straight line there you know it's going to be you know two steps forward one step back we still have we still have to take it seriously it's not it's not over with I think what's going to happen especially when we get to the summer months uh, you're just safer when you're outside in, in warmer weather hopefully that gives us a big enough breather that we can really overcome overcome you know covid with uh, vaccinations uh being being prepared for any variants that that are coming our way um just because if you look at it on a national or on a, on, a, on a worldwide scale you look at countries who are also very uh sort of proactive and disciplined and they're seeing variant spikes that that are very deadly so I think we're going in the right direction now. The summer months are going to help as well. And then I think that gives us enough time to do the work, get enough people vaccinated uh, so that when the fall and winter come again, like we're ready for it. And, our, and hopefully our lives aren't you know, drastically altered or limited. Uh, so the, these next summer months, I think, are, are going to give us a good chance get ahead of this thing. Yeah, and you mentioned the vaccine, and we are starting to see those vaccine hesitancy numbers um, here in New York State and throughout the country. Do you think the messaging on the vaccine, I don't want to say ch- needs to change, but that it, we could tweak it a little bit to try to get those who are a little hesitant to go and get the vaccine? I mean, you know, if I, I wish I had a solution for that. I, I think it's it's some of it's where we are in the country, and you know the polarization in the country. Uh, some of it's a, a uh, you know lack of trust in government. Uh, it, it's 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 weird and unfortunate even to see like the partisan divide in, in vaccinations. I think there's like you know, it was somewhere I read it was like the last poll it was 10% of Democrats won't get uh, won't will absolutely refuse to get vaccinated, and it was like 70% of Republicans. I'm like, all right, we've got a lot of work to do. I think it comes down to like two different. Maybe I'm oversimplifying. I'm sure I am, but you know, uh, the sort of path of, of a lack of trust of government. You know, even if you go back to, you know, the, the Ronald Reagan quote of, you know, the worst thing someone someone hears is, you know, I'm from the government and I'm here to help. If that's internalized, uh, you know, with, with one group of people in the country, of course they're not going to trust something like that. Uh, so I, I think we've got a lot of work to do, but. You know, this that this disease, this virus, this pandemic, has shown us that we're all connected. And it doesn't care what political affiliation you have. It will kill you. You know, it'll kill your loved ones. It'll certainly set all of our lives back, and it takes from all of us. Uh, so we got we we've got to just come together on this. And everyone needs to get vaccinated. We need to get the herd immunity, and we need to get on with living our lives. And, and just to clarify, you mean of those who are hesitant. 70% of them are Republicans, not 70% of Republicans are hesitant to the vaccine, correct? Correct. Okay, just wanted to clarify. Uh, now, the county executive, uh, and I know this isn't really in, well, I, I don't know if it's in the state hands or not. I, you hear two different things from two different people. Uh, but the county executive has a plan uh, for the Bills and Sabre games next year, and hopefully weddings, uh, to be at full capacity if you can prove a vaccination. Do you support that idea, and do you think, beside the governor, that would have support in Albany? Yeah, I, I, I 100% support it. Yeah. I mean, again, we, you know, we're in a society, you know, if, if these aren't, you know, rights, you don't have a right to go to a Bills game. I know there's a bunch of pushback on that. I saw the, uh, uh, what's her name, um, Rachel Bush, Jordan Poyer's 
uh, sort of Instagram famous uh, model wife was really upset about uh, Poland Cars' statements. But yeah, you got to get vaccinated. You know, you don't. You, you want to go to a Bills game. You want to go to a Sabres game. Um, we don't want to get other people sick. You don't have a right to do it. If you want to enjoy the regular things uh, uh, and of life in, in a public way, then you can't put other people's health and safety at risk. And, and what we see is, you know, you could unknowingly be a carrier and you could unknowingly get people sick. You could unknowingly, uh, you know, contribute to someone's death if you're spreading COVID. So uh, I, I think when you've got a tool at your disposal that, that mostly prevents that from happening, uh, you should you should take it if you want those those benefits. All right. Now, I know this isn't in your district, but uh, it's something that uh, Congressman Higgins talked about with State Senator Sean Ryan. And I want to know your opinion on it. But also, is this something that's talked about when you're in Albany? uh, Do you hear this proposed in other areas? And that's removing uh, certain expressways around the city, the 198 and the 33, Um, the 198 specifically. Congressman Higgins talked with us last hour or last segment about and it, it, he said this is kind of a push around the country to get rid of expressways. Is that something that you would support? Again, I know it's not in your district, but something that you would support. And is it something that's talked about in Albany around other uh, areas of the state? Uh, you know, it's not it's not like a major topic of discussion. I would say, uh, you know, the, the 198 in particular uh, is, is certainly it certainly would have uh, broad support. Figuring out a way to, to fix the Kensington and the historic mistake that was, uh, but a lot of a lot of cars, you know, move over that. So uh, the idea of uh, at least capping the Kensington uh, is something that I'm supportive of, uh, fixing the 198. But what I will say, you know, in regards to, to Congressman Higgins, if he's trying to tie tearing down the Skyway to the 198, those are two vastly different projects. Ripping down the Skyway after we just dumped 30 million dollars into redecking it. Uh, doesn't make a whole lot of sense, especially if they're going to build a whole new highway to connect uh, Southtown's tra- you know uh, uh, commuters uh, to the 190. It seems like a really bad, it's, you know, good money after bad. If you're just going to throw money around like that, uh, I, I think that's just a waste. There's better things we can do to connect communities. Uh, you know, my proposal and my push is streetcar system. Buffalo used to have a, a whole streetcar system that would take people out to the suburbs, connect people. And we all spend so much money on our cars, gas. Uh, if we had another opportunity for a real public transportation system that worked and was attractive, uh, that that would bring real economic development to our area and our community. And and I think so. Getting rid of some of those past historic Eisenhower era mistakes, like the one 198, uh, would be great. But you also have to get people to work and to school and to get them around. And so if you're going to make it more difficult for them to drive, then you need other ways for that to to get people around, and I think a streetcar system is the best way to do that. You know, Pat, I find it so interesting. So I grew up in the North Towns, uh, went to school at Madai, lived in the city when I went to school. Uh, then I moved to the South Towns, and when I lived in the North Towns, you know, the Skyway talk, I was like, yeah, get rid of it. Why, why is the Skyway there? You don't realize how important that is until you live in the in the South Towns. When, when you have that discussion with a North Towner or, or be opposed to a South Towner, it's a completely different uh, take on the Skyway. Yeah, man, and we also had, we just have a limited pot of money. Like I would say, if if, we, if it were ten or fifteen years ago, and you want to figure out a different way to get people, you know, from the south towns into the city or to the north towns, then you know maybe that would have been the time to do it. But we re, we you know for those who don't know, we, we redid Furman Boulevard and then we built an elevated roadway to feed traffic into the Skyway. 
that was like 50 million bucks. And now, and then it was 30 million bucks to, you know, to, to refit, to fix the skyway for the next 30 years. So like, like, who do we think we are? We're, it's almost, I always equate it to like, you know, if you're, if you're you know, a low income kind of broke family, you fix up your family car and then you get a, a little bit of money. And instead of fixing the roof, you go buy a Lexus. Like we're not, in, we're not a, like we're a small city. We don't have the luxury to just throw away, you know, 50, 30, 80 million dollars. To, because we don't like the Skyway, it works. We just fix it. Let's do other stuff that that helps us get along, uh, moves us along better, is more transformative. That makes more sense. So the 198 makes more sense. Uh, the Ken- fixing it, you know, doing something with the Kensington makes sense. A streetcar system makes sense. Turning down the Skyway doesn't make sense. All right, Pat. Two more questions. I I, I know it's a, a Sunday morning. I appreciate you joining me. Um, Looking at the national picture, New York did lose a congressional seat. Um, what are your thoughts on that? And was it something with communication with the census, or should we do another census when the pandemic's over? Uh, I mean, I certainly you know support uh, filing a lawsuit uh, uh, and challenging that. We were 89 people short of uh, of not losing a congressional seat. Um, it's you know. We don't want to lose representation. There was real fear that we would lose two. So initially, there was like a bit of a celebration and some relief. Like, oh, we only lost one. Thank God. I thought we were going to lose two. Um, but we shouldn't have lost any. And, and so as much as you hear about like you know, people are leaving and fleeing New York, our population grew pretty significantly. It's just that it's growing in other places a little bit more. So um, I, think, I think we should challenge those findings. I will only say it could have been much, much worse. It, I think it's more the idea that we lost a congressional seat because 89 people didn't put in their, uh, uh, didn't didn't fill out their census information is, is a little it's a little tough to take. But that's what happens. Like that's why we did so much work. You know, we were pushing uh, even out of my office. You know, we were pushing people to 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 you know do their job, do their legal responsibility. We sent out mailers on it. We're going to libraries, we're posting things everywhere, uh, but you know, 89 people didn't fill it out, and, and we lost a congressman because of that. Congress member. All right, and, and last question: um, On Wednesday, President Joe Biden gave his speech to Congress. What are your thoughts on the president's first 100 days? Yeah, so you know, I, I know I realize for the most part, you know, you have a, a maybe more conservative audience, uh, and, and I'm a I'm a Democrat. Um, so they might be a little cynical about this, but I just, just to preface it with, you know, I wasn't a huge Joe Biden guy who supported him, uh, in the primary, but I have been, you know, incredibly impressed with these first hundred days. Uh, his speech I thought was really, he's not, he doesn't have like the Obama level, you know, rhetoric, but his commitments, it was so plain spoken. It was so direct. It was really one of the best speeches that I had heard from a president in my lifetime because it was just about the American people. It was about you need, you know, these people need this and we're going to do this for them. And so like, like out goes the lofty rhetoric and here comes the meat and potatoes, which is what I want to hear. I want to hear how you're going to make, you know, working class people like me and my family, my constituents lives better. I think he did a really good job of that. Uh, And then the first hundred days, I think has been um, transformative and ambitious. And uh, I'm excited about, uh, you know, what the next few years of a Joe Biden presidency is going to bring. Um, but I hope he keeps it up because he's doing a great job.
And I think that, you know, like he's kind of, you know, I always viewed Joe as like, you know, our country's in turmoil and like grandpa needs to come in and fix this and tell everyone to just knock it off. Uh, so that's kind of how I viewed him. But he's been doing, you know, much more than that. And I'm, I'm, I'm here for it. I'm happy to see it. All right, Pat. Thank you so much for joining me on a Sunday. All right. Thanks, Joe. Take care. Assemblyman Pat Burke joining us when we come back. That last question I asked to uh, Assemblyman Pat Burke, we'll be asking the Carl Calabrese. We'll also talk about that lost seat in Congress in this vaccine messaging. Now, I'm sure if you've listened to BMAS and Beamer this week, we, we've focused a lot on the messaging around the vaccine. You, you see a Congress full of vaccinated people socially distanced and wearing masks. I'd like to ask Carl Calabrese and... Kevin Hardwick at 1130, uh, what they think about the messaging and is there a way we could change this so it's not a political party thing, right? Oh, if someone has a profile picture with a mask on, uh, they must be a liberal. Or if they're hesitant to the vaccine, they must be a conservative. Is there a way we can just get the COVID messaging as we are hopefully here toward the end to not be such a partisan political thing? We're talking about that when we come back on Hardline.